Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. With the signs of the times, it should seriously bother everybody in this room what we are just witnessing in our country about the infanticide that's now being promoted in certain states now and it's going to come to a state near us and this idea that Virginia governor said that well we'll make the baby comfortable and then the provider and the mother can decide whether or not they're going to terminate the baby that's a new evil we have not seen in this country now being introduced this is a new low for America and we have people that would be willing to kill babies. That's infanticide. And I was talking to my class earlier today, and I'll talk a little bit more in the sermon about it, but this is really evil. You can't get much more evil than this, than killing a baby. I mean, literally, a woman could be dilated, and they could kill the baby right there when she's dilating, ready to give birth, or even after the birth in some situations. This idea of killing a baby the third trimester is barbaric. I mean, we're on the level of what Israel was doing by burning babies to Moloch and giving their babies up to Asher and Baal and burning them in a furnace while they were alive. We're no different than the Romans, who, if they didn't want a baby, they just left it on the side of a road so they, a wolf could eat it. We're entering a time now in American history that I don't know if you come back from this. If the states start allowing this to happen, and they're going to call it a woman's rights, we're going to get hammered. We're going to get hammered by the Lord. There's no turning back from this. I mean, you include the gay marriage, you include the transsexual thing, and now you include infanticide? Huh. I think Billy Graham was right a long time ago. If he doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think he was right when he said that. Because there's no way you're going to get this low and not expect the judgment? <laughs> Ain't happening. And if the judgment is already happening... And I think it probably already is. We're going to collapse internally from a immoral society. We'll talk more about that. But this segues into exactly what we're studying in Genesis. And I'm going to take my time in Genesis 1 because it is so power-packed with information. But here's the principle. When you destroy the foundations, which is what Genesis 1 is doing, your whole society will go upside down. Your personal life will go upside down because the creator is creating reality. He speaks reality into existence. And so now what we're seeing is God says the baby in a mother's womb at the moment of conception is life. But yet, what do they want to do? Change the language from a baby's life to a mother's right, a woman's right to have control of her own body. Really? Here's my question. Does the woman have four legs, four arms, two heads, four sets of eyes, four sets of ears? How is it that that baby is her body? Where's the baby's rights? See, what they're doing is changing the language. Change the language, redefine reality from what God has said reality is, and there you go. It's now changed from murder or infanticide to a woman's rights. Not buying it, and neither should you. We're watching something awful happen in our country, and it's because it's an attack back to the authority of Scripture, 
to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll pick up the pace when we get more into the narrative parts of Genesis, and it will, it will go a lot faster. But it's important to camp out on the days of creation because there's so much there. Let's talk a little bit about the context that we're in right now before we jump into verse 6. The context is this, that God is now creating order out of chaos. And people have asked, well, where did this chaos come from? Why is there tohu and bohu? And why is there darkness? Why is there the salty abyss? Where did that, what, what happened? Where did that come from? And we talked about this several weeks ago, that that's a reference to the fall of Satan. Satan was given dominion over earth, the pre-earth before the earth we know of it. It was a gem earth, a mineral garden of the Garden of Eden. And we talked about how Satan fell And because of his fall and taking a third of the angels with him in that rebellion, God cursed the very dominion that he had. And that dominion was the original earth. And hence, what we're seeing now in Genesis 1 is a recreation of that chaotic judgment back to forming it for another dominion that's going to be given to mankind. And so this makes the animosity between Satan and his, his demons against humans that much more powerful. He recreated the original domain given to Satan for us. You don't think that causes him to be mad? Oh, yeah. That's why he, he usurped Adam and Eve. But you can listen to that. I spent the whole sermon on that, but you have to know that's the context because you're going to understand, try to understand why is he recreating or refashioning, reforming, filling places that are void. That only makes sense when you have to include the fall into it. It doesn't make any sense that he would create chaos and then recreate. It doesn't make any sense out of that. So anyway, when we jump into the second day, we saw the creation of light, and now we're going to see the creation following that. So we jump into verse 6. Then God said, Let the firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Let's explain that. When you see the word firmament in the Hebrew, it's rakia, R-A-K-I-A. A rakia, that's a transliteration of the Hebrew word, rakia. What it means, rakia, is a stretching out, kind of like taking a tent and stretching it out. Or the other way is in metallurgy of hammering out gold to overlay it on something else, another item like wood or stone or something like that. So that's where the word rakia comes from. I'll explain that in just a bit, but follow me. He's going to create an expanse between the waters, and there's a watery mass mixture going on. And you can see a picture of the earth. It's a watery mass, and now God is forming the earth And in order to do this, he has to separate the waters. So there's two waters that he creates an expanse between. Now, this space is created so that life can exist. This is where all the oxygen levels will be, and that helps man to be able to breathe, and all the other chemicals that are needed for an atmosphere. But it's more than that. It's called the vault of heaven, And this vault is created for space for not only living creatures, but also the angelic realm or the fallen angels as well. So now we have this creation. So what the Hebrew is trying to say is that God took this and and kind of just opened it up like a thin space. 
And we would call this the firmament. The technical word for firmament in the Bible is heaven. There's three heavens in the Bible. There's the abode of God. That's the third heaven. The second heaven is the area we call space. And the first heaven is the atmosphere. The apostle Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So he creates the firmament or space is the useful word that we will use. Or the, the proper name is heavens, plural, by doing this expanse. Now, note this. Up until recently, we really didn't know what this meant. We understand he divided the waters and created a space. But here's what we didn't know. The term rakia means to take like a tent and spread it out. What we do know now is that space that we talk like between you and I and the chair and space between us actually has substance to it. There's actually something in between you and I or between the planets. There's actually, it's not just a a vacuum. There's actually something there. I'm not a physicist, but they do explain that when you look at the space-time continuum, it's laid out like a blanket. And what we find out is that the greater the mass, the more it puts weight on that blanket. So if you held out a blanket, so to speak, and put a, a like a bowling ball in the middle, what would it do? It would sink in the middle, right? That's where we have the gravitational forces. What they now find out in interstellar space is it appears to be laid out like a tent or overlaid. It's a thin layer between objects. And you can see that now in, in these illustrations that we're, we're looking at. That's what space or what we call firmament looks like, if you could see that. Now, here's the funny thing. The Jews knew that 1500 BC, and yet we're barely figuring this out scientifically. But that's how space is laid out, which is representative of the word rakia in Hebrew. God is telling us that's how I expanded the universe and made this space. Pretty amazing that every time we have new discoveries, it confirms the Bible, doesn't it? Verse 7, thus God made the firmament, or the vault of heaven, or the space that we're talking about, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament, and here's the proper name, heaven. Okay, so just like I said, there are actually three heavens. The abode of God and the place we call space and then the atmosphere. Here's the context, though. Contextually, we are not dealing with the third heaven. We are dealing with two parts of the spaces, the atmosphere above earth and the space where the planets and stars are is contextually what we're dealing with. And I'll show you the passages that explain this. Let's jump to Genesis 1.20. Let me show you this. Then God said, and we're going to see this later on, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly where? Above the earth, across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So that's our first clue is the firmament is the atmosphere where the birds fly. Okay. Then let's jump to Genesis 1, 14 through 15 and verse 17. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. What lights? Stars, sun, and moon in the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for the signs and seasons for the days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light onto the earth. Notice this. Moses has just expanded 
where the firmament goes. Now, this is important. It's not just the atmosphere around earth that he made a space for. He actually extended the space into outer space. And what we know from space is that since creation, space is expanding. So it originally was, it was closer, but because of the expansion, space is expanding and that firmament or that space that we call outer space keeps expanding. But here's the question. Where did the top layer of water go? We know where the bottom layer is. Where did the top layer go? And it hasn't been until recently that we can actually put our finger on it. Now, I can tell you what the theories were. The theories were, and these have been debunked by our own creationists, that there was a water canopy surrounding the earth. I've looked at Answers in Genesis. I've looked at ICR, Institutional Creation Research. I've looked at Creation International. And beyond that, other believer creationists that are scientists, the water canopy theory has been debunked because if you had a water canopy around planet Earth and the amount of sun that hits it, you would be at boiling points on the Earth. You would have to have a reduction of the sun to about... 75% less than what the sun radiates currently, and that wasn't possible. So even creationists, not evolutionists, creationists, ICR, Answers in Genesis, Creation Internationals, have all debunked and said the water canopy theory does not work. I've read some of the old literature, and that used to be the theory. But now, starting in the early 90s and into the 2000s, I think now we know where the water is. And this is pushed by ICR, Answers in Genesis, or Creation International Ministries, and other other top Christian scientists in this area. That top layer, then, is seen in space. And we now know where it's at. In space, what we have is what's called the Oort Cloud. And inside the Oort cloud, we have the Kuiper belt. And what we see from space, the Kuiper belt and the Oort cloud, is this protective dome around our solar system. And guess what it's made out of? Ice. Ice. I mean, all over the place. It's like a protective shell around our solar system along the Kuiper belt. Let me show you some pictures of what I'm talking about. We didn't know the Kuiper belt and the Oort cloud existed really until the early 90s. This is what it looks from space. Our solar system is in this Oort cloud, and it's made up of trillions, trillions of particles. Not just little particles, but sizes like size of states of blocks of ice. Frozen water and different gases, but are all liquefied in this Oort cloud and Kuiper belt. Let me show you some other pictures. If you can see our solar system, we have a Kuiper belt around the entire solar system. Pluto is actually in the Kuiper belt, encircles our solar system along with this Oort cloud that encircles as a globe, as a canopy around the entire solar system. So our sun's there. Look at the Oort cloud. 
It is a canopy, no? It's a canopy. It's a circular canopy around the... It's not just planet Earth. That was too small. It's around their entire solar system. Here's another look at it. You see the Kuiper belt going around it, and then you have the Oort cloud around that. The orange track represents the KBO orbit, the Kuiper belt orbit. Pluto's orbit is represented by the yellow ring, and you can see where Pluto is at. Here's what the Kuiper belt looks like from a flat surface. You can see it. Pluto's way out there. This is where we get all of our comets. Hellbot Comet, Halley's Comet. You know what comets are made out of? Ice. They project that a lot of the comets that come our way and come around planet Earth are coming from the Kuiper belt and the Oort cloud, which are all watered ice. That's where we think the rest of the water that he separated went to because it's trillions of particles. By the way, if you want to research this little, this out a little bit, we sent a probe out towards Pluto back in about 2006. It's called the New Horizons mission. New Horizons went by Pluto about in 2015. New Horizons went beyond that as going to an object in the Kuiper belt called Ultima Thule. Ultima Thule. It looks like a giant snowman. It's very large, Ultima Thule. And it made a pass. We got close to Ultima Thule on January 1st of this year in 2019. And this thing's a massive, just frozen ice thing. I don't know what you want to call it. It looks like a snowman. I mean, it's massive. But it's the first time that we have went past Pluto into the Kuiper belt where all this water, frozen water, is around our solar system. If you want to look it up, just type in Ultima Thule and you'll get all the information. But what we're getting ready to understand is there's stuff beyond Pluto that we didn't know existed 50 years ago. Now we're finding out there's this major ice protective mechanism around our solar system in a circular form. This, according to a lot of the creation scientists, this is where they're going now in their theory is that this is where the water above went. It went to protect our solar system. It's a protective shield around the entire system. Absolutely amazing. But when God says, I separated the waters, you have to trust him. We didn't have this science 50 years ago. He just, trust me, that's what I did. And now we're barely finding this out in 2019 that, oh my land, there is water encasing around our solar system. Absolutely amazing. Let's go back to the text. And it says, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, again, I've made this point last week, and I want to reiterate it, but I don't want to belabor it. But when you see day with a number, yom with a number, it always, without a doubt, is a literal 24-hour day. And by the way, I've researched this more and more even this week. Do you understand that even the rabbis, even though the rabbis got off on a lot of stuff, even today, the rabbis, there's not one that disagrees, the orthodox ones. 
that disagrees with the ancient rabbis that this is a, a six 24-hour-a-day and God resting on the seventh. They, no rabbi ever said this is day ages. None of them. The best rabbis never said that. They always interpret, and we're talking rabbis always, all, all the way into the Middle Ages. And they just said, you can't get this from the Hebrew. You can't get it from the way it's constructed. And like I said last week, the only way you can get day ages is if you bring outside influences into your thinking onto the scriptures. By the way, it was the rabbis who said, this is Greek thought. This is pagan thought to put long day ages on the text. See, if you go to every pagan culture, including the Greeks, they all had these long eons of time that elapsed and then that the, their gods or, or whoever created the order and it's through long evolutionary processes. Now, they didn't call it evolutionary like we do today, but that's basically the same thing. They thought things evolved. Spiritual evolution came before Darwin, long before him. Spiritual evolution was taught in Babylon. And so this idea of things progressing, taking long periods of time, comes from the Babylonian religion, the early pagan Mesopotamian false religions purported that. Not the Jews. Not the Jews. So I, I reiterate that and, and say, I want to be on the right side of history on this one. You cannot get day ages. Okay, let's move then to the third day. Verse 9, it's a third separation that's going to occur. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. So now this watery mass that God is creating now is being separated out in the dry land. The surface area for planet Earth is now emerging. And right now the division is happening, okay? And it was so, he says. And God called the land earth, or Eretz, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. It's the first time right here that he's saying it's good, that what he's doing, and when he says it's good in this day, always it means it benefits mankind to some degree. To whatever that degree is, it still will benefit mankind. Now, here's what we understand. Let's talk about the other waters. So we have the heavenly waters that are being separated, but now you have the earthly waters and the land coming out. Interesting enough that embedded in planet Earth is not just the oceans. The oceans you see currently right now are from Noah's flood. There was a lot less water on the surface before the flood. So, you know, the Earth is like, what, 70, 70 to 75% water? A lot of that's Noah's flood. Okay, pre-flood... There was more land mass. But okay, but where did all this water come from that encircles planet Earth about 70 to 75%? It came from in the ground. So the ground that separated came above, and a lot of the waters went below planet Earth. Well, this is exactly what we see today. There are all these terrestrial caverns and reservoirs underneath planet Earth still today. In fact... What they have recently discovered is that there's more water under the ground than in the oceans. Isn't that amazing? Let me show you some of the recent findings about this. 
that we've discovered as human beings about this. Let me show you a picture. Obviously, you know that there's water underneath the ground. We drill wells and we get it out. There's huge reservoirs. Well, in one of these areas underneath the crust, there are indications that there are large amounts of water, and we know this because of the certain minerals that exist there. One of them being wazlatite and then ringwoodite, like ringwood and then dite. And we know that in these structures, this is where these minerals are found. Now, follow me, because we're going to have to do Mr. Science right now, okay? So hang with me. I know it's tough. These minerals have the propensity to absorb water. And when you find this mineral, it will tell you how much water is in that location. Okay? Very rare. We know they exist, but we can't drill down to where they're at a lot of times. We have to find them because they've been shot out of a geyser or something like that. That's the only way we find these minerals. So let me show you what one of these minerals look like. This is a diamond with ringwoodite on it, okay? So you can see kind of the diamond, the clear shape, but then the, the rest of the chemical on there, the, the mineral, is called ringwoodite. And this is so rare to find something like this. It is absolutely amazing. And it was, I, want, I don't want to say luck. I, I, let's put providence out there that we found this thing. Let me show you another picture. A Canadian researcher that was in Brazil found it in one of the rivers of Brazil. And when they saw it, they knew instantaneously this is ringwoodite on a diamond. The diamond's only like worth 20 bucks, but it's the ringwoodite that's the key. What they found is because this, this diamond holds about 1.5 its uh, uh, weight in water, is that it came from what we know is called the transitional zone. So you have the upper mantle and then you have the lower mantle, but in the middle of this, you have a water zone under the crust. And get this, based off the ringwoodite of that little diamond we found, they can conclude that we have more than what the oceans have in this transitional zone of water. So you ask yourself, where did the other layer of water go? It went subterranean. A lot of that water actually came out and now fills our oceans. But the other that's left is still subterranean in the planet. And it's so deep, we can't get to it. But it's there based on a luck thing or a, a providence thing. This diamond, they said, shot up 40 miles an hour up a plume and shot so far up, and then it came out and landed in uh, one of these riverbeds in Brazil. And that's the only way we found it. We couldn't have dug it out and found it. What it's saying is, what you're reading right now, God is giving proof I separated the waters. Oort cloud, Kuiper belt, or Kuiper belt, and then I have a subterranean level of water that has more water than your oceans. I separated the water, and I let the land mass come. Exactly! As scripture said, exactly. You can't get more detailed than that. Why would God say that? Why would he give the details of what he did? He could have just said, I created it all in the story. No, he gave you the details and this is how I did it. And this is the work of my hands. So that you and I and the rest of the world cannot make a mistake. It's God. Only God could do this. This didn't happen by accident. They think time plus chance 
equals creation. That's what the world thinks. Seriously, man. Time plus chance equals creation. You got to be kidding me. You check your, your, your brain at the door if you think that. I mean, what are they thinking? And yet, why is God showing all this evidence even now, late in the last days? He's trying to put out a warning and a message to everybody. Get saved before it's too late. I am the God of the world, the God of creation. Worship me. Don't worship the creation. I'm the one who made it. And I I can see why it's apropos that all these new findings are coming out. We have so much education, so much information is on the Internet, and yet people don't use it. So much has been given. God's putting out his call to humanity. Verse 11, then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. Notice the vegetation and plant life are now being created. Notice the three categories. Grass, herbs, fruit trees. Three. You'll always see three in all of creation. Do you know why? It's the fingerprint of God. And why are, why is three the fingerprint of God? One God revealed in three persons. You'll see the Trinity markings everywhere through creation. So he even subdivides the vegetation. Wow. But notice what he says. According to its kind. According to its kind. That's amazing. In fact, that term occurs ten times in chapter one of Genesis. According to its kind. Now, back then, they didn't know about DNA structure. They didn't know about coding and information and language in the DNA structure. They just didn't have the science ability to do it. But God was saying, look, I'm putting the information into the plant that it will reproduce according to what I tell it to do, according to the information I embed in the plant. And it will only produce according to its kind. Now, this is not species or this. We're using biblical language. And what it means is this. A pear tree is not going to turn into a bush. A bush will not turn into a palm tree. But yet, what does evolution say? Look at this picture. From the primordial soup, everything sprang from one living organism. You got to be kidding me, right? Really, I'm supposed to buy this? That I'm related to a tree, and you're related to a tree, because we all came from the primordial soup of that one living organism. And some just little branched out over here and became bushes and trees, and other of us became monkeys. And so the monkey and the tree are related. Really? I'm supposed to buy that? Seriously, without anything knowing, knowing any science, I'm supposed to buy that. You got to be crazy to think something like this. This is on the level of a Babylonian religion. That I come from a protozoa and I'm related to the tree. No wonder everyone's like tree hugging. No ever, you know, no wonder that's their brother. That's their, that's their kinfolk. Hey, it's this uncle tree over there. You can check them out. Go on YouTube and, and type in people crying over the rainforest. Watch that one. That'll really blow your socks off. They're out there crying, weeping over trees and stuff like that. Man, classic tree hugger stuff. But when you see this, you're like, really? But God's saying, no, I created the plants. And by the way, this violates 
their own little evolutionary theory because God's saying, I created plants first, not animals. See, in evolution, they actually have marine biology being created first before the habitation. It's the exact opposite. Oh, that's interesting. Satan likes to do the exact opposite. Satan says it's up when it's down. So it's it's the whole idea of if God says this, Satan says the opposite. That's what evolution is, by the way. It says the exact opposite of what God says. But according to its kind, obviously points to DNA, the DNA structure. And this is the death knell for evolution. They don't know what to do with DNA because the DNA structure will tell what the living organism is supposed to do. It allows it to replicate. It allows it to adapt. And adaptation, my friends, is not evolution. Just because a bird's beak changes in a different location doesn't mean evolution. That's adaptation. Just because a leopard changes, you know, a coloring of his fur, or this guy's over here, you have a snow leopard, then you have other, that's adaptation. That's not evolution. You don't have a horse turn into a pig. You just don't. Or the horse turn into a tree. You just can't. And by the way, what are the examples of anything mutating beneficially? They know all mutations are negative. I wonder if they read the little caption, the subtitle, on Darwin's Origin of Species. Do you think they want to bring that one up? Have you read it? Do you know what it says? It talks about master races. Hmm. Anytime an evolutionist wants to bring up Darwinian evolution, you just tell them, oh, you're a racist. Because that's what Darwinian evolution teaches, that the, the superior races will win out. Oh, no wonder that was used by Hitler and the rest of them to and exterminate the Jews or anyone else that didn't fit their standards. See, in, inherently, in evolutionary theory is racism, and they don't want to admit it. But if you go to creation, there is no racism because everyone's made from Adam and Eve, yeah? You can see what it's happening. I think you get it. But anyway, DNA is the death knell in that. So let's do the tripart of the vegetation real quick. The first one are the grasses, okay? So this includes every grass that you see on planet Earth, basically what we call covering vegetation. The second one is the, it calls it the seeding seeds or the herbs and vegetables. These we're talking about bushes, shrubs, things of that nature. And then it mentions the fruit trees. And the fruit trees include all wood trees, basically, that you know on the planet. Now, the thing about it, and again, this is a tripart creation of vegetation. And notice this. It's created before living creatures. Why? It's the principle of this, that God is preparing the environment for the living creatures, for humans. So he's doing it for us, ultimately, okay? So he prepares the environment prior to our arrival, if that makes sense. That's important to understand because it'll be the application at the end. But notice this in the text. It says, whose seed is in itself on earth, and it was so. Now, leave that up there real quick, Sam. What it's saying is that I'm going to create these plants, these trees, these shrubs, these grasses... But embedded in them, the seed is in itself. I'm going to create them mature. 
So when Adam and Eve are on the ground, the trees are full grown. They're mature. The starlight's hitting the earth fully mature. Everything's fully mature. But inside of the mechanism is its own seed, which will replicate and be able to reproduce itself constantly. And that replication process we know is is built into the DNA structure. And so that's an amazing scientific fact that it doesn't matter what plant you're talking about. There is a DNA coding put into it, and they don't know where the information came from. So guess what the new theory is? I mean, try this one on for size. Aliens did it. Yep, yeah, it was the aliens. The aliens. See, because here's what they can't dismiss. Coding and information speaks of intelligent design. Okay. And so if they admit intelligent design but don't want to bow a knee to God, guess what they do? Well, some dude, you know, that Spock knew or, you know, or Yoda knew from a distant land, from a galaxy far away, came over here and planted human life, planted animal life and tree life. So we can thank the ancient aliens for doing so. Why do you think they have the ancient alien program? Constantly saying they gave us the technology, they made us who we are, so let's thank the aliens for it. And you just think, have these people lost their minds? Really? I mean, you got guys at UCLA, you got guys at you know the Ivy Leagues, you got guys at Stanford saying that life hitchhiked on a meteorite that hit the planet and spontaneous life came out of that. And you're like, wow, dude, you're doing everything you can to explain away God. And this is getting ridiculous. I mean, you're at the level of a child when you start thinking like that. Richard Dawkins, the high priest of the atheists, even admits intelligent design. And you know what he said? Aliens did it. There you go. That's their high priests. That's what they come up with in order to not bow a knee to God. Continue on just a little bit more, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed, there's that word again, is in itself, DNA, replication. According to its kind, it's not going to jump out of the kind. A tree, does, a, a bush doesn't turn into a pear tree, okay? It stays within its kind, and we know that through DNA, it will not jump. The coding won't allow it. By the way, you will see that even with animals and eventually implications with human beings. Oh, where are you going with that one? You don't get to change your kind. Right? All these people, I feel like I'm a girl. I feel like I'm a boy. So I'll just chop my hair off, not wear makeup, and wear boy clothes. And guess what? You're not going to be able to do it. Because your DNA says you're a girl. We can see by the lack of an Adam's apple that's really small, the small shoulders, everything gives you away that you're a girl because your DNA is screaming female. You're not going to change your chromosomes. And I'm not trying to be facetious, but this is what people are, they're not even just going against the Bible, they're going against science now. What do you have left with you if you're not even going to obey your own rules of science? Oh, and we're on a whole new level, guys. But according to its kind, that's big. That's DNA structure. And God saw that it was good, good benefit for the mankind, right? So the evening and the morning were the third day. 
So now we have this beautiful picture of a lush green paradise on earth created for animals and man particularly. He's the crowning jewel in all this. So creation, uh, all vegetation then now is complete. This is radically different than what you're taught in the science books. This is radically different from the dogma that's taught in public schools and the colleges and universities. They'll picture this as something like a, a landscape of Mars and there's like this soupy concoction and these little slugs are crawling out of the ground. That's how they portray this. Okay, so with that being said then, that's a lot there. What's the application? Let's do that. Notice what I said about God creating the environment for us. So here's the principle. God provides and we receive. God provides and we receive. He's done this all for us. The environment has the DNA coding to work for us. And thank God that the DNA coding doesn't allow certain things to become other things. Then we'd have real problems. It's actually a protective mechanism. Okay, so God provides, we receive. And you know, James in chapter 2, verse 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So, so creation is a gift to you and I. It's a gift to all of humanity. But here's the deal. You have to receive it. Well, what do you mean? Well, receiving doesn't mean that I just live here, here in the environment. Receiving is this. I have to bow a knee to the one who gave it to me. He's the one who gives me breath to live with. He's the one who gave me life. He's the one who gave me this environment to live in. And so I must acknowledge that in order to receive it. Now, here's what it does. In order to receive it, I have to admit that I'm dependent upon him. Do you see why people don't receive it? The mass of humanity will not claim that the God of the Bible did this and won't receive it because they want to be independent from him as Adam and Eve did. Their pride does not want them to signal dependency. That's the problem. In order to receive a gift, you have to be humble. Thank you. I couldn't have got this without you giving me this gift. Thank you. That requires you to admit you're dependent upon him. And boy, howdy, that's the crux of it. So this is the problem. So let's flush it out into modern day life. When people say, I'm independent, I'm not dependent on the God of the Bible, I'm a God of myself, this is what you get, infanticide. Because the God of the creation says, that's murder. But now since they don't worship him, don't receive that, then, hey, baby on a table, you don't want it, let's inject the baby and euthanize the baby. That's what you get. You're getting now a culture of death because they won't receive the information taught in Genesis. A culture of death. Let me tell you something. Let me do a sidebar real quick about this infanticide. You think it's going to stop with the babies? Oh, come on. No, it's not going to stop, right? It's not stopping with the babies. Dude, if they can kill a baby after it's born or, in, or coming out of the mom, forget it. We're in a culture of death. What's next? 
old people. Yeah, you guys know it. You're, you're on top of it. And I didn't say it. You did. But this is why the whole single-payer health care stuff, you're going to get death panels. Thank you, uh, Rahm Emanuel's brother, Ezekiel Emanuel, who, who there's death panels. It's going to happen if you go to single-payer. But here's the deal. They're getting the culture primed to accept, well, let's just kill people who don't have rights. Because, like, what rights does that baby have outside of the womb? They're going to, and I know what they're going to say, it doesn't have rights because it can't live on its own. It's not survivable on its own. And yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but what about someone in a coma? What about someone hooked up to a machine? What about an elderly person? Well, you know, they can't live on their own. You know, the cost of end-of-life care is very expensive. Everybody's single pair, so we only need to pay the worker bees. Here's two Motrin. See you later. But it ain't going to be just two Motrin. Look, I don't even have to guess where this is going. I was telling my class this morning, I know where it's going based on what's happening in Europe. Single-payer healthcare systems. Oh, they think, oh, so great. I can go to a doctor, anyone I want. Yeah, wait till you're 65. You're not going to be able to go in any doctor. You need, oh, you need a, a heart surgery? Sorry, man, can't do it. We can't afford you, dude. Why don't you do a favor to society and sacrifice your life? Take one for the team, right? That's what they're going to tell you, no? Okay, so what's happening in the Netherlands? Well, they deem that you can euthanize yourself when you're not fit for society and we don't need you anymore, then you can actually kill yourself. Oregon does it, a couple states here. You can take a pill, kill yourself. Okay. In the Netherlands, because they devalue life, it's a culture of death. They have no problems, you know, letting people die and killing them. You can make a directive saying, you know, I have a terminal disease and I'm not going to make it. And so I don't want to suffer and put the financial burden on my family. So I want to die. And so on such and such date, I'm going to, I'm going to have a lethal injection given to me. And that's a real deal. They do it. So guess what this older person did? She was 80 years old, has a terminal illness and says, okay, I want to die on such and such date. I'm going to get a lethal injection. I can't suffer like this. And she sets the date. Okay. The date comes. She's 80 years old, terminal disease. She goes into there and she says, I don't want to die. You know what the doctor did? Oh, yeah, you will. They put medicine in her coffee to calm her down. They drugged her. They put it in her coffee, with the family knowing this, by the way. They drugged the coffee to get her to calm down because she didn't want to have the lethal injection. She she didn't want to die. Even though she said, I want to die on this day, she didn't want to do it. So she was panicking. She said, I don't want to die. I want to die. They put that stuff in her coffee. She drank the coffee, calms her down. She's still saying, I don't want to die. Her family held her down while the doctor gave her a lethal injection and killed her right there in the family's presence with their help. And she, the whole time, was fighting, saying, I don't want to die. Well, this is for her betterment because she's out of her misery. Folks, that's Nazi Germany. That's coming here. If this infanticide doesn't stop, they're the same thing they're doing to babies. An innocent baby should have all the rights given to it. Guess who's next? Here's an interesting thing, and I heard an individual say this yesterday, and I think it's profound. This is almost ironic judgment. And if you're part of this generation, don't take it personally. The generation that allowed abortion will be the generation that gets euthanized in their old age. 
Oh, that's called ironic judgment. And it's all over the Bible. You do something to someone else, it's going to boomerang and come back to you. Ooh, that's not pretty. All this stuff about the economic turmoil you're seeing in our country is because the Bible teaches a right way of economics. They're doing the opposite. The Bible pushes hard work, labor, work for your money. What does the government teach? Get your hands out. We'll feed you. We'll give you schooling. We'll pay for all your education. We'll just tax all the billionaires by 70%, according to Alexandria Occasional Cortex. Is she insane? Yeah, she's insane. Of course she is. Of course they all are. But this, why, why what happens? Because Romans 1 says, when you don't worship the creator, you go crazy. You, God morons them. They become a moron. And that's not even to be facetious about it. I mean, just, it, they're, they're morons. Tax the bill. There's not enough money that the billionaires have to pay for all your entitlements in America. We'll go broke before that happens. And then the Pope says, America needs the one world government to run its business. Man, if that dude ain't the false prophet, I don't know who is, man. But anyway, I digress. Application, though. Go, come back. Okay, in order to receive this, you have to be humble. The second thing then comes for us. And you're like, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm receiving it. God's creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the, the second part of this. In order to receive it, you must go after it and get it. Brilliant. Brilliant on God's part. He creates this environment for humans, but he doesn't serve everything up on a silver platter to them. He doesn't want Adam and Eve sitting there on their big throne saying, serve me another piece of bread. Right now. Sir, they don't do that. What are they supposed to do? Work. Here's what I provide for you. Go after it and get it. You have to pick the fruit. I'm not picking it for you. Right? I, it, seem, it seems very simple, but dude, that is so profound. It's not even funny. I'll provide the environment for you, but you have the responsibility to work the environment. It's on you. And if you don't, your environment's going to collapse. Now, now here's the deal. Let's bridge over to spiritual talk. As far as, you know, our, our walk with the Lord. And, and I get that about creation. I get that about work, Brandon. But now what do you mean about my walk with the Lord? Okay, same principle. Everything for you to become like Christ, to grow in his image, to mature, to get past all these issues that you have in your life. God's saying, I provided everything for you. You have your environment. I, I've given you the church. I've given you spiritual leaders. I've given you support groups. I've given you Bible studies. You have your Bible. There's all kinds of information on the internet that, is, that some of it's bad, but a lot of it's good. And you can access yourself too. There's good counselors. And you have to take advantage of that. We're not going to serve your spiritual maturity up on a silver platter is what God's saying. You have to go and get it. It's all there but it's up to you. So you say, well, I want to grow and become like Jesus. Great. That's a lot of work. And you're going to have to pour in the discipline, the time, and the hours to do it. But man, that payoff's great. But you have to do it. You have to go to counseling. You have to go to Bible study. You have to read your Bible. You have to study it. You have to do all that stuff. It's all effort 
So he's saying, I provide, you go after it. Let me give an example and we'll finish on this. This is 2 Kings chapter 6 if you want to look at it because a lot of people don't know the stories in the Bible. It's called the floating axe head. You ever heard of the floating axe head? It's not in the Bible. Yeah, it's in 2 Kings chapter 6. Read it. It's Elijah. This one old boy, he was a prophet, school of prophets with Elijah. They're expanding their prophet school. So they're adding on. It's it's a seminary, so to speak, and they're adding on because they need more room, right? So this one old boy, he's a prophet. He doesn't have the tools necessary to expand the place. So he borrows an axe. And so he's there chopping away at wood, and they're building this add-on seminary to the school of the prophets. And he's adding on. And he takes that axe, and he goes back, and that axe head, woof, flies off the handle. And flies off the handle into a river. And it sinks all the way to the bottom. And they get there, and they're like, I don't know what you're going to do, man. And he's like, dude, it was borrowed. It's not even mine. <laughs> and he's looking at it, and there's an axe head at the bottom of the river. They can't, it's too deep. They can't swim in there. Current's too much. They can't get in there. And he turns to Elijah and says, I don't know what to do, man. The dude's, uh, it's, it's borrowed, and I'm in a mess. Can you help me? And Elijah goes, all right, I'll help you. So he prays to God, and Elijah the prophet calls on God to help. And you know what God does? He makes the axe head from the bottom of the river float to the top. Now check this out. There's a principle here. The axe head's floating on the top. But then Elijah says, all right, go out and get it. And so he had to swim out there, get his clothes wet, fight through the current, and grab the axe head that's floating on top of the water and then swim back with it in its hand and go back to shore. Principle. God can do anything. If he can make an axe head float, and come. To, why didn't God just say, oh, and just let me take it over 10 more feet and I'll float it and, and you just open your hands like this and him just plop it in, in the guy's hands. Why didn't he do that? He could have, but he just brought it up to the surface. What's the principle? If you want it, get it. I'll do what I need to do that you can't do, like create things, provide things, but you're going to have to go get it. You swim in that water and get that axe head, and you bring it back to shore. You do what you're responsible to do. That is the principle through creation and in the spiritual walk for the Lord. Now, question, and we'll end on this. God is providing for you in some way spiritually. I don't know what it is. But it's there. You know it's there. The axe head is floating on top of the water. The question is, are you going to go get it? You're going to have to fight through the current. You're going to have to struggle with the baggage, the weight that you carry to get that axe head. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. If you get that axe head and you swim back to shore, you're going to have spiritual victory. That's the principle. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.